FedEx Forum, Growl Towels, Super Grizz, each one a Memphis Grizzlies tradition. This is the Grizzlies Podcast. What's up, everybody? We are back for another week of the Grizzlies Podcast. I'm your host, Evan Barnes. We are joined by DeMichael Cole, your Grizzlies beat writer at the Commercial Appeal here. Um, Interesting week for the Grizzlies was we record this on Thursday, um, not even more than a 24 hours ago. We're coming off of their great win over um, the Portland Trailblazers, that thrilling fourth quarter. And that kind of led, led us to some things that we kind of want to get into um, on this podcast. I think we'll get right into it. Desmond Bain obviously had a huge, huge game, 29 points against the Trailblazers, but it's not the points. It's how he got those points. He had 20 points in the fourth quarter. Um, to Michael, when Bain missed that one game on his road trip, things suffered. How do you, first of all, what did you think about what he did against Portland, but also his impact so far when he plays and how he's been on this tear since that Brooklyn game? Man, Desmond Bain is putting people on notice. Uh, I We saw it in the preseason when he, even when he wasn't making the three-pointers, you know, the guy shot 43% from three-point range in his career. You know, that's that's going to come. But even when he wasn't making those shots, watching him attack the basket, watching him get to the rim, get to the free throw line, it's like he's added another layer to his game. And that's what you want to see with a guy, you know, in his third season. You want to – there has to be something that's obviously, you know, different, uh, that's noticeable about his game. You know, when you get to, like, LeBron James's tenure – and you're, you know, 13, 12 years into the game, like a KD and those type guys, or even, you know, Kyrie, maybe, what, close to 10 years in now? Like, there's only so much you can add to your game at that point. But where Dez is, he has a lot of potential still, and we're seeing him still tap into those new avenues. And the latest is the way he's attacking to the basket is, is you know, opening up that, that three-point shot for him, is opening up three-point opportunities, it's making him just – a complete offensive threat. We saw the mid-range develop last season. We saw him, you know, tease the off the off the dribble shooting last season and things like that. Now he's Evan. I mean, he he did a step back crossover. I think it was against the Kings, and it's yes. like oh, yes. and then you know against the Nets, he was doing step back crossovers, and it's like man, this if if he's knocking needs down, he can be a closer. And lo and behold, now he leads the NBA in fourth quarter scoring. And we talked about Ja in the clutch. Uh, Evan, you, you got something nice going on there. Yeah, I agree. I mean, what makes it so fun with Bain is last year you just saw him become more comfortable getting to the basket. Like he talked about how, you know, when he was a rookie, he was he, he wanted no part of going to the basket. Last year you saw him get more comfortable doing it. Now you see him just being totally in his bag with that part of his game, and it's doing so much more because, again, teams are going to try to key on John Morant. We saw what Portland did. One thing I noticed is Portland did a great job of basically letting John drive and then forcing him to pass and capitalize on those turnovers. Turnovers. Um, I think having another player who can get their own shot, who can be, who has to be accounted for in that way – is what's going to make this team a serious contender. Because if you have to account for more than two players who can do damage like that, that's what makes this great. Now, we know Jaron Jackson Jr. obviously is a threat when he's on the court, and Dylan Brooks as well can get his own shot. But Desmond Bain, because of his more consistent shooting, I would say, than Dylan Brooks, it looks like he's getting into that that role where you can count him close in games. And 
to Michael, I think you said he's turning into a closer or showing signs of it through these first, you know, couple of weeks of the season. And I think that's encouraging too, don't you think? It's very encouraging. I mean, uh, I think, you know, you, you, you just hit on it for the most part. And you go back to those first couple games, you know, a lot of people are like, what what happened? Like, what's the big shift for, for Desmond Bain to really take it up a notch here? And I think it's simple. If you just look at the direct correlation, when Dylan Brooks started playing, Dylan, I mean, Desmond Bain started scoring more. And people say, oh, what's the correlation there? It's the little things, you know. Uh, I always talk about how some fans, not all, some fans kind of look at NBA players as they play with fatigue off. They don't think of the the fact that, oh, a guy's played 32 minutes. He might he might be really tired right now, or he might need to go out to the game and get a break. It's play, 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 and, you know, you just don't imagine guys getting tired. But it's a very realistic thing, and it impacts the way that guys play. So with Desmond Bain, and Dylan Brooks being in the lineup. Dylan Brooks is guarding those those guards. We saw, you know, against Portland, Dylan Brooks took on the assignment of Anthony Simons. Well, what does that do for Desmond Bain? While Dylan Brooks was out, Desmond Bain was the guy tasked with guarding those players. You know, he was the one having to guard, you know, R.J. Barrett early in the game and, and you know, having to chase around Evan Fournier, you know, around the three-point line. Or we saw him in the preseason chasing Duncan Robinson around the three-point line. And once you're doing all of that chasing and, and on defense, it affects your offense because now you're more tired on the offense. And we're talking about a, guy, about a guy who's a shooter. So now he's finishing short on his shots. And he actually talked a lot about it because he was asked about it, too. But he talked a lot about conditioning in the preseason. The main point that I got from him is saying, look, his conditioning right now is not where it's going to be in January. His conditioning in January won't be where it'll be come playoff time and so forth. So. Uh, he's getting his wind under him. He's getting better condition. And quite frankly, he's not having to chase around guys as much. You know, he's he's getting lesser of the defensive assignments, which allows him to use more energy on the offensive side of the ball. Definitely, definitely. And I think it's going to be a very interesting thing, obviously, as we get later in the season, kind of how that conditioning pays off for Bain. Because right now, you're, you know, guys are still finding their way through, getting into a rhythm. You know, it's still a new season, basically. So you're seeing, you know, you're starting to see teams kind of find a little bit of an identity, but also, you know, some of the other teams, you know, older teams, maybe they're starting to, they're going to rev up a little bit later. And so I think for Bain, well, what I'm encouraged by the most by him is it's not just a, it's not just that he's scoring more. It's how he's scoring. It's the, the 32 point half against the Nets. It's the 20 point fourth quarter. It's the timeliness of those baskets. I believe, I think Mark pointed out, Mark Giannato, our columnist pointed out that Devin Bain scored 11 straight points in the fourth quarter when the Grizzlies were tied. And so that's kind of what you're going to need from him. Not just, you know, again, we, you know, we're, I'm not going to get into like, is he playing at an all-star level or whatever? It's only two weeks in the season, but to see this team grow and be a contender, Devin Bain's play is an added bonus to kind of just, you know, see and enjoy and embrace. Um, and, of course, when we talk about scoring to Michael, we obviously got to get into to, to John Morant. Um, what, what did you see about him during this road trip that that really kind of stood out? We'll get into the team in a minute, but, like, what did you see from Ja on this road trip, road trip that just kind of impressed you a little bit? You know, it, it was something different kind of with, you know, each game, I think, you know, uh, especially the last game. I want to start there with, with Portland. And I think that's the big, that's the one takeaway that I'm, that I really 
was impressive to me. Uh, John Morant is the closer on this team. He has his signature, right? Call 12. He does a little phone celebration and things like that. <laughs> but but guess what, Evan? We saw, I mean, we know this already. John Morant talks about it. He's, he talks about being a guy who loves to pass the basketball. He says he loves passing more than he likes shooting. And these are things that he said in the past. And he tells his teammates, get open. I like to pass. He tells his teammates that. Well, in the fourth quarter, I saw a player against Portland who realized this isn't my night. He finished 7 of 19 shooting. I think he had eight turnovers. Uh, he was flirting with a quadruple double. He almost <laughs> had a triple double in offensive numbers, but he almost had, you know, 10 turnovers as well. So yep. you factor all that in. I think we saw a player who realized, look, Desmond Bain has the hot hand and checked into the game. It was still Desmond Bain's ball. It wasn't, okay, Jaws back in the game. It's, it's my time, time to call 12. We saw a player who was willing to pass the torch. And that's not something we've seen much of, nor have we had to see it because we haven't seen, you know, Desmond Bain is at a different level now uh, and, and, and whatnot. But now that the Grizzlies have this emerging second closer, this guy who's averaging over 10 points per game in fourth quarters and Desmond Baines, you had John Morant last year as the leading clutch scorer in the NBA. So you wonder, how do those balance off? Is you know, we've talked about the, the Grizzlies having great chemistry and they're not they're not just being a you know a huge ego team. And I think this was a big moment for John Morant that a lot of people probably didn't even notice. That was a that very easily it could have been, hey, look, I get the ball in the last three, four minutes. I don't care if I'm shooting five of twenty. Because I mean, let's be honest, if that was Michael Jordan. Or Kobe Bryant, they're still getting that shot up. I'm, they're struggling, but the ball is going up because at the end of the game, they feel like they still will make that shot. But I think it was impressive to see him pass it over to Desmond Bain and say, you got it. Yeah, no, obviously, and we know Jaws, one of his great qualities is that he's unselfish. And I think in a, in a game like this, you you like seeing that trust. You know, we've seen that trust before with Dylan Brooks at times when he's, you know, closed out some games. So when you have Desmond Bain get that trust from Ja, um, I think that's good. One thing I saw that, that was interesting to me about Ja, and I like this, you see him using more of that mid-range shot. And we've talked about this before. Like, that's a shot that I think is going to make him um, take him to another level. Like, at first it was a three-point shot, you know. Um, I, I actually did this the other day. I went back and I looked at something I wrote in around early 2020 about – Jaws three-point shooting and I said you know it's good that he's shooting more threes because that's going to unlock more of his game and here we are two years late two and a half years later and Jaws comfortably shooting threes and making them it's just funny how he's improved so quickly but I think that mid-range game he's already got that floater down but once he gets that mid-range and you see him kind of do look for that shot a couple times in the game that to me is encouraging you heard it on the broadcast like I think you know, Mark Jackson mentioned, and I'm sure Stan Van Gundy, I think, mentioned it on, you know, ESPN or TNT. That's what's going to make Josh so much better. So I like seeing him, in, you know, try that shot more often because for him, he can get to the basket with ease. Like he's, you know, when he gets that left hand going up, it's like, you know, you know, it's coming. Um, so for me, the mid range that I saw him try in a couple of these games, I was really impressed with because it shows that he's willing to try it out and not just, you know, use it as an emergency, but he's actually going to that shot. Um, and that's going to help him, you know, avoid going to the rim so much. Um, but even when he goes to the rim, of course, we know it's all good. Um, so, DeMichael, I want to ask this this question for you. You wrote a good piece this week about 
the Grizzlies defense, something you notice on this road trip. And again, you can look at the stats to back this up. Um, I think obviously when DeAnthony Melton and Kyle Anderson, you know, left this team, DeAnthony Melton was traded, Kyle Anderson free agent. The big question was going to be, you know, how do you um, replace their defense? And I think you made some good points that the Grizzlies defense, while it misses Darren, Jaron Jackson, it's also missing the impact of DeAnthony Melton and Kyle Anderson for now. Uh, I'll, Take us through that piece a little bit and kind of see what are you seeing defensively that the Grizzlies are doing that where maybe they've kind of, you know, slid in backwards from something that they've been always strong in under Taylor Jenkins. Yeah, it's so it's minor things. You know, people are like, oh, the defensive numbers are so glaringly, you know, different. The Grizzlies are one of the worst scoring defenses in the NBA right now. They also are one of the worst you know, statistical in terms of field goal percentage, they've been one of the worst teams. So once you factor all of that in, it's like, what's what's the problem? And I went back and watched some games, and the, the first game against Utah really stood out to me, right, because the Grizzlies have a five-point lead, two and a half minutes left in the game. Then Utah hits three three-pointers in that last stretch to, to, to overcome that game and, you know, basically uh, get a win that the Grizzlies should not have lost. And I go back in that game, and I'm watching, and I'm like – it's not it's nothing huge. There isn't a talent gap. It's mainly, you know, players being out of position. You know, you saw Kelly Olenek have an open three pointer. Steven Adams had two feet in the paint. He wasn't, you know, attached to anyone on the jazz. Uh, we saw Kelly Olenek hit another three pointer uh, where Santi Aldama was standing basically in the middle of the paint uh, around not around guarding any other jazz player. And we saw Laurie Markkinen uh, hit a three in the corner in the same case scenario where Santi Aldama had two feet in the paint. So it's little things like that that you you notice. The fact it's a defensive awareness thing as much as anything. And saw Taylor Jenkins talking about it, and he basically said, look, it's our habits. Basically, you know, habits are the small things. These are things you talk about the first days of camp, communication, uh, all the little small minor details there. And I think – that's exactly what it is right now. So what I talked about in the piece was you look at the raw numbers in terms of the assists that teams are getting. Uh, the Grizzlies going into when I wrote that story, they were giving up 25.7 assists per night. Last season, 25 assists. And uh, defensive rebounding, still top five defensive rebounding team in the NBA currently. So once you factor in those type things, those points, to the fact that the Grizzlies defense can improve because there's still signs that they're not giving up that many open shots. And there are still signs from the numbers that I just mentioned that they're limiting teams to one possession. So they're not giving up a lot of offensive rebounds. So the mistakes basically are more mental. And, you know, yes, these are easily correctable, but it goes back to, you know, you're talking about DeAnthony Melton and Kyle Anderson. You don't make those mistakes right now if you have those guys. So it's a give and take because. Uh, you look at the mistakes. A lot of the mistakes are being made by the younger players. There were mistakes, like I mentioned, you know, Steven Adams. I saw some plays where Tyus Jones, you know, maybe could have ran out and, and you know, contested three-pointers a little bit better and things like that. But a lot of the mistakes, you know, even if you go back to the very first game, uh, the shot that Cam Reddish hit in the corner that everyone will remember towards the end of the fourth quarter to send that game against the Knicks to overtime, mm -hmm. uh, Cam Reddish basically cut behind Santi Aldama. Santi Aldama, who was standing in the paint, did not see Cam Reddish because Cam Reddish went behind him and he should have, you know, noticed that he was going behind him and chased him to the three point line. Instead, you know, Cam went wide open to the three point line while Santi Aldama was standing under the rim. So it's those little things where 
it's just basically experience. Experience will fix that. And just, you know, watching the film, I know Zaire Williams was a rookie last season who talked a lot about how film, you know, changed his perspective. It's going to have to do that for Santi Aldama because he's getting his first extensive playing time. It's going to have to do it for David Roddy, Jake Laravia. There's no doubt about it that all those guys have the physical tools. We just saw Santi Aldama against Portland have two really good blocks. We've seen David Roddy have some good individual defensive possession. Same thing with Jake Laravia. But this defense... Uh, it's not the easiest defense to learn, and and there's just going to be some mistakes being made, and I think that's what we're seeing, Evan. I have a question, and this is something that I think needs to be answered. I, I've noticed on Twitter, who is the Grizzlies' second best perimeter defender right now? I, I honestly, yep. don't. I don't. I, I'm not sure yep. right now. Because I was I was going to say who do, who do you think? But but for <laughs> for for my money, uh, the second best perimeter defender isn't playing right now. It's Zaire Williams. Yeah. And, and even he, I don't, I wouldn't say he is a great perimeter defender. I don't think there's Dylan Brooks is in his own league in that category. But what I will say with Zaire Williams, and you know, Dylan Brooks has even said this, and you can see it in the matchups he's assigned. Uh, the Grizzlies, because he's slim right now, he's very quick and he's long. He has those long arms. They like him guarding those those Duncan Robinson type three point shooters or those quick. You know, agile, the Kyrie Irvins, uh, and and you know the De'Aaron Fox type players, and the Colin Sexton's like they played against Utah Jazz, but they don't want him guarding those those bigger Kawhi Leonard's, the Luka Doncic. Uh, he's not physically ready yet, uh, I don't think, and that's kind of a point that Dylan Brooks kind of has made when talking about him as well. So he's probably the next best guy. John Morant looks much better. Uh, you're still not seeing him get a lot of those top assignments. Like I saw, you know, when they played the Kings, for example, De'Aaron Fox guarded John Morant, but John Morant, you know, played. Oh, did, no. Did not guard, did no, not guard no, him. No, yeah. that cannot happen. That cannot happen. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so there, there are subtle differences there. And I mean, we, we talked about Ja taking another step as a defender. He's been a plus defender so far this season. So that's, that's a positive. Uh, Desmond Bain. You know, they've given him big defensive assignments, and Taylor Jenkins believes in him on that end. But, uh, you know, there's a drop-off there. John Conchar, I think, is a good positional defender. He's going to be in the right places. He's going to contest shots. He's not giving up a lot of those open shots that we mentioned. He has great defensive awareness. But still, you know, he's not the the level of physicality that that Dylan Brooks brings at the position. So that's your one great guy. And uh, that's why, quite frankly, you kind of want to keep Dylan Brooks around right now. Well, yeah. And so – my question, I guess my question was more hypothetical because I was more just like it speaks to kind of the issues I think you brought up is that right now I don't see the again, I think the Grizzlies' second best pro defender, like you said, is Zaire and he's hurt. And I think that's the problem, is like right now, it's not just that they're not a good rim protecting team with Jaron out. They're not a good perimeter defensive team because of all the reasons you mentioned. Like I don't see a defender who people are afraid of now. Like obviously Ja and Desmond Bain have have shown potential, but I don't see that perimeter defender who has active hands consistently or somebody who can match what Milton and Kyle Anderson did. And I think that's a concern. Like that's probably where the Grizzlies are going to have to, you know, rely on outscoring teams until those, you know, habits get changed. You know, and I think, like you said, it is a lot of young, you know, youngsters out there and Aldama's learning by fire. But I think that's also the trade off where, you know, by letting Kyle Anderson and DeAnthony Melton go, that's the trade off where you get younger and there's a steeper learning curve. And this is one of the areas like I'm less 
I'll say, I'm, you know, great. Yes, the season's early, but I'm less rosy on certain things. Like I'm, I'm perfectly honest saying, hey, right now the Grizzlies are not a good defensive team in terms of what they can do on the court. And it's showing in some of these games. They didn't show up in Portland where they got hot and then, you know, Portland got hot. And that kind of brought them right back into that game. So I think that's concerning for me because even when Jaron Jackson comes back, you're going to have to maybe see what happens when Zaire Williams comes back on the perimeter because you just, you know, you, you're concerned a little bit about, hey, you know, one small tweak here defensively can take the Grizzlies from being the really good defense they were, the really great defense, excuse me, they were the past two years under Taylor Jenkins to to an okay one. And that's a little bit of a concern. I'm going to read some stats here. Um Courtesy of NBA.com and cleaning the glass here. This is what makes me think a little bit. So NBA.com, the Grizzlies right now are 28th in defensive rating. I believe you mentioned something like that. They're 24th in opponent three-point percentage. Portland was evidence of that. We saw that. They're 22nd in opponent field goal percentage. Now, this is from cleaning the glass. They're 13th in shots at the rim defensively. I believe last year they were second. So you see where those little small tweaks, as we discussed, you discussed, those small tweaks have me a little bit worried because it's like if you take one step back in a certain area, teams are going to pounce on that. And so, um, again, no reason to worry, no reason to say, you know, it's 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 time to start panicking about the Grizzlies. But it does make me wonder, like, are these trends and tendencies going to continue because you just don't see um, the 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 caliber of the perimeter defense right now that you you know had obviously with Melton and Anderson. And I think that's going to be something that we'll see what happens down the road. Because, again, the Grizzlies always hung their hat on being a great defensive team. That's one of the reasons why I think they've been so good without maybe having, like, you know, the variety of offensive weapons who've been consistent. But I do think that we will see how that goes as this um, the season progresses. But that does kind of worry me a little bit. So I thought your piece did a great job kind of showing, you know, m- the impact of missing um, Melton and Anderson. Yeah, I mean, because – one the two the thing that those guys the most is you know we talked all season last year about how the Grizzlies were this disruptive defense get all these deflections get all these steals blocks stocks as everyone likes to call them and they led the league in steals they led the league in blocks now they're middle of the pack you know uh they were going into the Portland game they were ninth in blocks 17th in steals and then I pointed out in that story it was like by the way De'Anthony Melton averages two steals per game, which is top 10 in the NBA currently. So, uh, you know, he was definitely a big part of that. And even going past De'Anthony Melton, Kyle Anderson, De'Anthony Melton led the team in steals uh, last season. Then a the year before that, Kyle Anderson led the team in steals. So you're basically missing, you know, two guys who have arguably the most active hands on the team from last yep. season. But a lot of people are so tired of talking about that. They they email me about it all the time, Evan. So I'm um I'm gonna kind of try to push forward and and I'll say this. I'll say this. I'll say Jake Laravia. I really like his upside as a defender. We've seen him, you know, get his hands on on the basketball some uh and and whatnot. I think David Roddy is more of a positional defender than Jake Laravia. I think Jake Laravia has more upside as a one-on-one type defender. So you get you got some really nice tools with those two guys, and now it's about the game slowing down. So I mentioned, you know, Jake Laravia, he has potential as a one-on-one guy, but now he has to get used to this NBA-level shiftiness, the strength, 
uh, the way these guys maneuver through screens and things like that, the spacing uh, and, and stuff like that. And then David Roddy with positional defenders, positional defenders have to understand the speed of the game uh, more than anyone because you have to be in the right place at the right time and basically anticipate a guy getting there. And I think he has the potential to be that type of player. Definitely. We'll see. We we will see. Obviously, this is trial by fire by the rookies having to play a little bit more due to injuries. Um, it's going to be a much more, you know, difficult learning curve as as any rookies have seen. And, you know, we'll see what happens. But, yeah, I do think that is something to be mindful of that right now, as you noted, and as we, you know, anybody watches this team notes, the Grizzlies have been okay defensively and that's kind of why these games are as, as wild and crazy as they've been so far so definitely something to keep an eye on um to michael let's wrap up on this the grizzlies will be at home for you know four of their next five games here um they have charlotte on friday they got washington boston comes to town um next week is minnesota we'll get into that obviously in next week's episode but just with the grizzlies being home um let's do this one or two things fans should be excited about seeing, besides obviously you never know what John Morant's going to do, but one, one or two yeah, things maybe. That's the easy one. <laughs> obviously, guys, if you need something to do Friday, Sunday, or Monday, go watch John Morant against these teams. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, let, what is there one maybe like one or two things you're excited to see, you know, with the Grizzlies being home after this road trip, you know, some familiarity being back here. What's something that maybe fans should maybe look for these next uh, couple games? You, you want to see continued progression uh, with the defense. Uh, we talked about the defensive inconsistencies and the struggles, but this game against Portland, I thought, was one of their strongest, if not their strongest defensive performance of the season. Through three quarters, they were elite. And in that fourth quarter, you know, things kind of unraveled. But that was, you know, as Taylor Jenkins put it, I think he uh, summed it up perfectly. You know, the offense kind of was lagging behind and that kind of carried over to the defense. So it was a lot of bad shots and stagnant possessions on offense. So you want to see, you know, you're going to be playing a Charlotte team that's missing LaMelo Ball. Uh, possibly could be without Terry Rozier. That's, that's their two, you know, that's their lethal backcourt. It possibly could be me missing both those guys. Uh, Washington Wizards team, who, you know, Bradley Beal is a is a great two guard, but nothing else, you know, in that backcourt from a scoring perspective. Monte Morris is a good facilitator, but nothing else scares you from the backcourt perspective there. You want to see if those two games, they can put together some real good defensive performances before that game against Boston. That game against Boston, you're going against elite talent. So sometimes good offense will be good defense. But in those first two games, the Grizzlies will need to continue, you know, to show signs of progressing on defense. Definitely. I, I think one thing for me that I'm I'm curious about is I want to see them, I, again, like I, I can agree with you. I want to see these next two games, the Grizzlies, take some kind of command and find ways to, you know, be comfortable at home and put forth, you know, two really strong efforts against teams that they should beat. Um, it should be fun. I'd like to also maybe see how do, you know, David Roddy and Jake LaRavia play at home. Like they've had to, they had to play extended minutes on this road trip. I want to see kind of how they, how they look at home with some of these, you know, early games under their belt, under their belt. Um, it seems like David Roddy has, you know, been the one rookie who's kind of definitely in the rotation for sure. And LaRavia is filling in as well. Um, so I want to see kind of how they, you know, feel playing at home, you know, the comfort level there for them. And um, honestly, I, I want to see what else Desmond Bain's going to do. Like Desmond Bain right now, as He's much as coming an attraction, isn't he? Yeah. 
Like, as much as John Morant is obviously, look, John Morant's box office. You put him atop the marquee, everyone knows, come see John Morant. But Desmond Bain, as you said, and, I, and I'm seeing this too, Desmond Bain is starting to do stuff where you're like, what's Desmond Bain going to do next? Like, is he going to be able to be this lethal shooter, maybe put up, you know, make five, six threes a game? You know, I, I, I want to see what Desmond Bain kind of does, you know, for an encore here at home, because obviously his last home game, the man had a 32-point half. So I think if he has two really good games for Boston, that's going to have, you know, the fans even whip more into a frenzy. And then going into that Boston game, if he finds a way to go off in that game, I, I think that would be a great, um, great sign of just his respect. Let's say Boston puts Marcus Smart on him sometimes to the John Morant. That might be a sign of respect, too. So I want to see what Bain does these next three games just because everyone's talking about him, you know, I think we're going to see a lot more attention with coverage towards Bain. So I want to see what Desmond Bain is going to do. I like it. I like it, Evan. Uh, he, he's 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 becoming an attraction. You know, that that whole all-star agenda is starting to be pushed with him. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it's 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 fun to watch because we, we saw, you know, year three John Morant last season. And now it's like, OK, what's what's year three Desmond Bain, you know, about mm-hmm. to do? And uh, he he's off to a terrific start. Absolutely. And I think we'll wrap it up right there. So, again, coming up for the Grizzlies this week, Friday, hosting Charlotte. Then they host Washington on Sunday. Then they host the defending Eastern Conference champion Boston Celtics on Monday. Three really good games. We're going to have plenty of great coverage at CommercialAppeal.com. DeMichael's going to have some great stuff. Mark Giannato, our columnist, is going to have some great stuff. And, uh, yeah, I would say stay tuned and enjoy these Grizzlies because – the fun is just getting started. Season's two weeks old. We got more to go. So for DeMichael, I'm Evan. We'll see you all next week. The Grizzlies Podcast is a production of The Commercial Appeal.